All right, guys, so this is Noah Broderick. I'm Tyler Smith. And this is the Baseball in the Burroughs podcast. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. This is the 11th episode of the Baseball and the Burrows podcast. As always, I'm going to be hosting today. I got the mic. Noah's talking through FaceTime, which is not the ideal setup, but, you know, the 175 miles in between us right now, this is what we have to work with. So, as always, I'm joined by Noah. Noah, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Obviously, I hope I uh, get you back here soon so we can start recording again together uh, in person because it's always a little bit uh, smoother that way. But doing well. I'm happy this week's been over. This felt like a really long week for some reason. Uh, just the five days of school, it's like it's crazy because every single week it's been like three or four weeks or three or four days, excuse me. Uh, I actually so get this Super Bowl weekend started. What are your plans for the big game this weekend? Yeah, so I have I remember those weeks last year in high school where like it seemed like three or four weeks straight we had like three or four days of school because of whether it was snow days or uh, like MLK day. But this was one of the longest weekends for me too because for the uh, for like the fraternities at Penn State we had zone days Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So 4.30 to 8.30 is basically an open house for X amount of frats each day. So uh, each frat is designated to a certain day. So there was anywhere from like 9 to 12 frats a day. And we had to check out 12 frats for the entire week. So every day I was basically going to class till 4.30. And then after that, I either had a doctor's appointment I had to go to twice a week or I had to go to a frat house. And I've been home at like 8, 9 o'clock every day. So it's been so – it's just been very frustrating. I'm very tired. So it's good to sit back, talk some baseball – but as far as the Super Bowl plans go, for uh, one of the fraternity houses, like after you go visit, uh, you can get like invited back to some events and stuff. So one of them is having a Super Bowl viewing party. So I'm going to be there with my roommate. Uh, so that should be fun. What about you? What do you got going for the big game? Uh, first of all, I just want to ask you how those uh, how that was going to look at all those fraternities. Did you find one that you kind of liked more than the others, or one that you might see yourself a part of? Or? Yeah, so there's a couple that me and my roommate Joey, we liked and that we could see ourselves part of. Basically what happens is you go in, you kind of just got to go talk to the brothers. It's, re- it's, it's really annoying. It seems like an artificial process. Like you just go up to dudes and just introduce yourself and then you start doing the, what's your major? Where's your hometown? How old are you? When'd you rush here? But there's, there's so many, fr- I think there's like 37 frats here. So even if you go to a house, which happened to us, but we didn't see ourselves in, like the worst thing you can do is just take a tour and then leave. But we found a couple where like the dudes are pretty chill. It's more our speed. So there's a couple right now that we're looking at, and obviously the process is drawn out for the next several weeks. But, uh, yeah, we have a couple opportunities to go meet some of the guys there and, like, continue to hang out with them. And then from there we'll see where it goes. But, yeah, so far we found a couple that are pretty nice. They're more low-key. I'm not trying to join one of those big ones where it's just nothing but partying and stuff. Yeah, I get that. I wanted to ask because I might be there, you know, next year. I'm not sure. Obviously not in the frat, and I'm not even sure if I'm going to be there, but it's definitely a school I'm looking at, so that's cool. But uh, as far as Super Bowl plans, I'll probably just go to either a party or just hang out with some family. Uh, usually my family watches it. I'm not sure if my you know friends are going to be doing anything, but I'd like to get out and, and watch a great game because I think this game has a lot of juice to it. Um, it's kind of been overshadowed uh, by the Kobe Bryant thing, which I know we didn't really want to get into because of how sad it is. We've got to keep this podcast pretty light, but just a quick rest in peace to Kobe, uh, a legend, and so the week's been kind of overshadowed by that. So I haven't really been thinking too much about the game, to be honest. But I just started kind of locking in on it, uh, listening to Chris Russo talk about it and Bill Simmons talk about it. And um, I'm picking the 49ers, man. 
you know, at the beginning of this uh, these playoffs, I said 49ers Chiefs and the 49ers are going to win on um, this podcast. So I don't really want to go back on that. Um, but the best player on the field is Pat Mahomes. I just think that there's, you know, two really evenly matched teams and should be a lot of fun. Uh, what about you? You got a prediction? Yeah, I'm going to go with the 49ers also. I was originally riding on the Mahomes bandwagon. Obviously, he's the best quarterback in the league. Everyone loves watching him play. I love watching him play. But I think the Chiefs – or uh, excuse me, the 49ers overall are just a better team. And I think that's going to play – this is fun for us. Uh, I know because the Patriots aren't in the Super Bowl. So I feel like either way, neither of these teams we dislike. So we could just sit down and, from a neutral perspective and just watch a really fun game. Yeah, finally. So, dude, I'm so sick of seeing, like, Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> and he's, like, the best player. And, like, those matches. games where they're kind of just grinding win. it out. It just drives me crazy. I, I mean, we got some really good athletes in this game. George Kittle's a beast. Travis Kelsey's a beast. These are tight ends. Uh, you know, you got Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill on the other side, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Debo Samuel. There's just a lot to this game. It's fun. Uh, the running backs, obviously, most of San Francisco. Jimmy G and the porn star girlfriends. It's just it's got a lot going on to it. It's in Miami. And Andy Reid, of course. And Andy Reid, you know, eating cheeseburgers Sweet. and everything. Did you see he compared something to sweet and sour pork the other day? I feel like every analogy he makes has to do with food. It's hilarious. Yeah, sweet <laughs> I did see that. I, I forget what it was exactly, but um, yeah. I did see that. And, yeah, he's a, he's a character. Hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to root for the Chiefs just because I love Mahomes and Andy Reid's ever won the Super Bowl. So uh, I kind of want him to win that for his legacy and just so everybody can stop saying Andy Reid can't win, uh, you know, in the big spot. But um, I, like we always say, baseball podcast. So let's get into the baseball side of this. We had a lot go down, you know, fairly, you know, a good amount go down at least. Uh, since the last time we talked, we had Starling Marte go trade to the Arizona Diamondbacks. We had Nick Castellanos sign a four-year deal with the Cincinnati Reds. And we've had Mookie Betts and Nolan Arenado trade talks really ramp up. So I actually want to lead off with Nick Castellanos to the Reds because that was the first thing that broke. Uh, four years, $64 million. What do you think of this deal? I think it's a very good deal for the Reds. And the Reds have been a team we're consistently talking about in the offseason, which is very strange. I know, it's weird. The Reds and the White Sox. Besides, like, the Yankees getting cold, it's been Reds and White Sox. Probably. Yeah, but the Astro, or the Reds, excuse me, have had a very active offseason. Obviously, they signed Nick Castellanos. They brought in Trevor Bauer last year. Um, they have a very good staff. They have Luis Castillo, Trevor Bauer, Sonny Gray, who had a great year last year. Uh, a rebound Don't say year. His name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm no, not going to say anything. I shake every time I hear that. Sonny Gray had a great year. Yeah. But, I mean, they're continuing. They added Pedro Strope. Say what you want about that. But this is a team in a really weird NL Central this year because the Brewers were in the playoffs last year, obviously. We always talk about the Cubs. They've underachieved since they were the self-proclaimed dynasty we fought in 2016. They were the team of destiny yeah, that year. What happened to them? I, <laughs> really? I, really I, I don't know. So it's – like I said, the Reds have constructed a very good team. And I think as of right now, at minimum, they're going to compete for the wild card. Whether they win it or not, we don't know. But I think overall it's good for baseball that a team that's been bad for so long is – looking to compete, and Nick Castellanos is a guy who's definitely going to help them. I know he's not a great glove, but in 2019, he had 289, 27 home runs. He was a 2.7 war player, so he's always been a guy that's going to hit the ball pretty well. He's a consistent hitter. He puts up some decent power numbers. So out in Cincinnati, I think that's going to be a good fit for him. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about going from an awful hitter's park to the best hitter's park in the league, going from Comerica Park in Detroit or he would even get mad about the dimensions, you know, 425 and dead center. It's just that place nobody likes to hit at. And now he goes to Cincinnati where every fly ball leaves the ballpark, basically. My dad was over in Cincinnati. He didn't even go to a game there. He was just walking outside the uh, outside the ballpark. Yeah. He said, that place is small. You could just tell it's a really small ballpark. Yeah. 
And um, I think a guy like him, a big guy, he's got power, but he can hit to all fields. He can hit line drives, you know, and spray him. I think that's kind of similar to the DJ LeMahieu and Yankee Stadium type fit. I think he's going to see his home run total even go up there, even from when, you know, he was in Wrigley, even though he was on a complete tear with the Cubs. And, uh, you know, with his experience in the NL Central, I think he has a good idea of what the NL Central pitchers are like and what playing in those ballparks is like. And, um, you know, he's a gamer. I remember, do you remember with Joe Madden, he always said that, like, every day I wake up, it feels like opening day, like, because just that's how excited he was with baseball. Yeah. Um, that, that's the kind of guy you want on your team. Um, you mentioned not a great glove. I agree. Uh, you know, he doesn't, uh, you know, particularly have a lot of range out there, but he's going to, I think, be in right field for most of the time. I even heard that he might get a little first base work in. Uh, should Joey Votto go down, or maybe Joey Votto needs a day off and they want to play a guy like Jesse Winker on the corner, uh, they can put Castellanos at first. And uh, he'll have his fair share of days off, too. Uh, so I think it's a good fit. And uh, at 40 or 64, uh, I think it's got a lot of uh, deferrals in it. Um, but it's, you know, a pretty good deal. I don't think the Reds really overpaid. And like you said, seeing a small market team spend some money and want to add, you know, quality piece to their team is always welcome. So Yeah, this is – I want to say Castellanos to opt out and become a free agent for the 2020 or 2021 season. So can he opt out after the first year? Is that what it's basically saying? I think it is. After the 2021 season, that would be the two years into the deal because it's 2020. Yeah, it says the deal allows Casanos to opt out and become a free agent after the 20. Yeah, so I guess that makes sense. But regardless. So two years. Yeah. He's what, 27 years old? Yeah, so he's still pretty young. So he's in a very good spot right now. And if we look at this Reds team as a whole, they have a lot of good players around the diamond. They have Eugenio Suarez, who just had shoulder surgery, I read, uh, in like a swimming pool incident. So he's going to be limited like in spring thing. training. <laughs> But cool. yeah, that's that does sound like like a 2018 Mets thing, a 2017 Mets thing. But Mike Moustakis at second, Joey Votto is looking to have a bounce back year. Nick Castellanos now in the outfield with Nick Senzel and Jesse Winker, who Mets fans know plenty about. But this is a team that has a combination of good young talent and a lot of guys that have proven themselves. And if you look at that rotation, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer, I was talking about them before. Those are all guys that could potentially be number ones in a staff. So I think this Reds team is going to be very dangerous. Yeah, I mean. It seems kind of crazy to make them the favorite, considering they were, you know, pretty much last place the last three or four years. But it's not really crazy to make them the favorite because if you look at their roster on paper, I think it's better than St. Louis. I think it's like a, Louis I think it's is, a very good team. Like St. Louis gets overrated, and the Cubs, like you mentioned, they've had a lot of things go wrong. Uh, the Brewers lost pretty much half their team, and they kind of, you know, added a bunch of non-tender guys. Like Justin Smoke was a free agent, was their biggest deal. Obviously, El Garcia, just kind of like these under-the-radar moves. Maybe they work out, but I don't really know what to get from the Brewers. We know the Pirates are going to have struggled this year. So it, it's not crazy to say, you know, the Reds are my division winner. You know, you, you can easily make that argument. But um, and, and you mentioned the Reds' uh, position players, too. They have Winker, Senzel, Castellanos, and the outfield. They also have Shogo. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but remember the guy that they signed a couple weeks ago, I think, from Japan? Uh, Shogo Akiyama. Yeah, I have their uh... – I had the transactions up here before. Let me see. And um, they also have uh, our Aquino, too. So yeah. they've got a lot of hitters I mean, on that team. They should be able to hit in that ballpark. Yeah, so also looking at the MLB's top 10 farm systems, the Reds are in ninth place, sitting behind the Minnesota Twins, Los Angeles Dodgers right now. So I think, that yeah, like I was saying before, this Reds team is actually very solid, and they're probably going to be a team that's at least going to be in the hunt by the All-Star break. And uh, by the trade deadline, we could see them trade for somebody because obviously they have a pretty good farm system. But I think this team, best case scenario right now, could get in that 95 win threshold. And I think that would definitely be good enough to win the NL Central because it's such a polarizing 95, division. 95 wins. I think like, best case imagine? scenario. Castillo, Sonny, 
Castillo, Sonny Gray, one. and Trevor Bauer with Mike Moustakis, Nick Senzel, Nick Castellanos. Oh, man. I forgot about Moose, too. Jeez. I, I mean, it's, a, it's a very – Eugenio Suarez hit 49 home runs last year. Yeah, and they've got some players. I mean, Barhart's a pretty good catcher. Uh, they've got five good outfielders. They have Moose at second now. Votto could have a bounce back here. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about that. Yeah. I just need David Bell to not get tossed every game and yeah. Amir Garrett to not fight anybody because yeah. he got ejected like 12 That was crazy. Game. That was a crazy moment. But, yeah, and Eugenio Suarez is a guy. He almost caught up to Pete and ended up winning the home run crown in the National League. He's been a consistent hitter since 2016-2017 with his home run totals the past three years. 26-34-49. He was an OPS of 930 last year. So I think if all the pieces click, this could be a very good team. Yeah, big numbers. Uh, so let's move on to the next guy. Uh, Starling and Marte traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks for two pitching prospects. Um, I don't necessarily think this is a big deal, but um, it, it's definitely a deal that can help Arizona. Another team like Cincinnati wants to compete this year. They signed Madison Bumgarner. They had a pretty good team last year to begin with. They were about, I think they won 83 or 84 games, and they were in the wild card race come uh, late August, but then they kind of fell out of it in September. Uh, give me your thoughts on this deal, and are you at all disappointed that the Mets did not get Starling Marte? I'm not disappointed. Well, I am disappointed that the Mets didn't get Starling Marte for the reason that I think he's a big impact player. He would have helped them a lot. But I trust Brody in this move because I feel like in other times, Brody would have just traded anybody for him. So in my opinion, I didn't think that – I didn't trust Brody to make a good package. So that's why I didn't want to get Starling Marte. But with a competent GM, I think that the Mets should have gone after him. But it seems like the Pirates wanted Nimmo, and I'm glad they didn't give up Nimmo because I think Nimmo could still help. Um but overall, it's, I think it's a good move for the Diamondbacks. The thing is, the Diamondbacks feel like they definitely overachieved last year. I think you'll agree with me on that. And Yeah, they did overachieve a little bit. I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But I, I, I think they, they're not as good as what they were last no, year. No, yeah, but yeah. Adding these guys that they might be, uh, you know, be able to come back this year. But go on with what you're saying. Yeah, no, so they have Bumgarner at the top of the rotation with Robbie Ray, obviously Starling Marte. They have Cole Calhoun, Cattell Marte. Cattell Marte, excuse me, who really burst onto the scene last year. So I think it's a pretty good team. I, I just still think as we've seen the past, what, five, six years, even more, that this uh, this division is dominated by the Dodgers, who could be trading for someone we'll talk about later. But I think it's a good move. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not really sure about the hole they gave up for Starling Marte. Is there, uh, were there any big pieces involved in that? No, just two pitching prospects. There's two of the Pi- uh, Pirates' top ten pitching prospects. Um, you know, whenever you have a deal like that, it doesn't really matter if you're giving up like these lower-level guys. Because you're trying to win in this, like in in right now, and you know you're not really worried about uh, a ball pitcher uh, if you're the Diamondbacks right now. And the Diamondbacks, you mentioned the Reds farm system being top ten. The Diamondbacks have third ranked farm system right now, uh, so they have a lot of talent. They could afford to do this, and um, I, I think Marte will be an impact player for them. So I, I don't really have too much else uh, on Sterling Marte. I'm not you know a big Pirates guy. I don't really watch a lot of their games, but. Uh, I, th- I think it's an interesting move. Uh, so let's move on to the big guys that we want to talk about. First is Mookie Betts. Uh, Mookie Betts, obviously the Red Sox right fielder, one of the best players in the game. Obviously not Mike Trout, but he's a top three to five player, uh, depending on who you ask, in Major League Baseball. Uh, I want to give you his stats in 2018. Uh, 2019, he was a 6.8 uh, will win player, which is still you know, almost MVP level. But 2018, 346, 438, 640. 1,078 OPS, 32 home runs, 30 stolen bases, and he struck out basically the same amount of times as he walked with 91 strikeouts to 81 walks. This is a premier player, and this guy is about to get traded likely to one of L.A. or San Diego. 
Give me a prediction for where Mookie Betts goes and give me your thoughts on trading Mookie Betts and how much he's worth in the future. I think that Mookie Betts is one of like three or four guys, maybe not even that many, that are worth like a 350, 400 million. If you look at his just his, his credentials, he's been an all-star every year since 2016. His MVP finishes are 2-6, 1-8. Eight. So he's always in that top 10 category. He, like you said last year, had a ridiculous OPS. Or in 2018, excuse me, he was 1078 OPS, which is obviously phenomenal. He was out in Boston. I could I feel like the Dodgers are so desperate. They've been making trade. I mean, they traded for Machado a couple of years ago. They were in talks for Harper and Strasburg. We hear all of this stuff. As desperate as they are. I'm not sure if they're going to trade a bunch for one year of Mookie. I'm not sure if they have the money to sign him uh, for the $400 million. I'm not sure how their payroll is constructed right now. So I could see him going out to San Diego. And you pair him out there with the likes of Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado and Chris Paddock, who us Mets fans hate. I think that could be another very good team that's on the rise. I think they'd have to give him a contract at that point, though. I'm just not sure if San Diego is ever going to spend that much money. But like you said, those two teams are polarizing. I can't really put my finger on where he's going to land, but I think somewhere around the NL West is definitely most likely. What do you think? I think he's going to end up in L.A. And I think the Red Sox are going to do that because they think the Yankees are going to face the Dodgers in the World Series. That's not going to be the main reason. But they're going to think, like, let's we love Mookie. Let's give him a chance to win a World Series this year. We're going to send him to probably the best team in the National League still. And we're going to see what he can do there. And the Dodgers just have a lot of weapons to give the Red Sox that aren't even Gavin Lux or Will Smith or uh, Kyber Ruiz or Dustin May. They could actually dip into their major league type players and they could send back Alex Verdugo. Uh, he's a right fielder who's a really, and also could play left and center, but uh, he played primarily right last year. He was a really, really good looking young player. I'm a big fan of his. Um, he was really good in the field. He could, you know, hit. Then he started pitching. I think he was one of the best hitters against left-handed pitching, even though he was a left-handed hitter. Um, not a ton of pop, but he is enough pop. And like I said, really good field there. He's got some speed. Uh, you know, he's a really, really good player. And I heard that his name was being floated around in talks. So if you do a Verdugo for Betts type swap and maybe, you know, some other lower-level player in there, I think that'll get it done. I think Boston can immediately sell uh, Verdugo on their fan base. Uh, so I think or Verdugo, yeah, Verdugo on their fan base. So I, I think he'll end up in LA. Um, San Diego would make somewhat sense, but only if they could get him extended to a contract. Like it, they have Machado, like you said, they have Machado for three hundred million. Do you see them giving Mookie Betts three hundred and fifty million, or you know three hundred and eighty million, and having those two guys on the payroll for the next nine ten years? Like I feel like that's just not feasible. I, I, it's not feasible, especially for a team like the San Diego Padres. And at the same time, I want to say they're going to want to keep a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr., who's a guy they grew from their – I know they traded for him from uh, the James Shields deal, I want to say, but he's yeah, a guy James that was in their Shields. farm I system. Can't that deal That's the biggest – we should, we should dedicate an episode to that. But Just doing that. <laughs> I feel like the Padres have kind of identified their duo as Machado and Tatis for the next five, ten years. So, I don't know. It's just – it's weird for any team to commit seven, eight hundred million dollars to two players like that. But at the same time – the Yankees are playing a ridiculous amount to Stanton and Cole. Different markets, obviously, different success. But if you go back to the Dodgers, that team would have a lot of depth. They'd be good all around the diamond. You'd have you have Will Smith and Austin Barnes behind the plate, Justin Turner, Corey Seager, Gavin Lux, Max Muncy. Obviously, you have Enrique Hernandez still in there. Then the outfield would be some combination of Bellinger, Peterson, Mookie, and then maybe A.J. Pollock when he plays 30 games then breaks his wrist and misses the rest of the season. Yeah, but, right. And it strikes out like 11 yeah. times and 14 at-bats in October again. It's Yeah, but I think the Dodgers, 
every year people say this could be the move that puts them over and then they make a move like that, whether it's the beginning of the year, the deadline, and then they always fall short. I mean, last year they couldn't even get past the Nationals, who we thought the Dodgers were way better than the Nationals, and then the Nationals, I guess they were the team of destiny, ended up winning the World Series, but I just – something under the desk. I hope I don't break anything, but if – if the uh, I think he's a game changer though for the Dodgers more so than any player they've traded for more so than Machado so that could definitely put them over the edge but at the same time we've seen this Dodgers team kind of choke with Dave Roberts time and time again so I don't know exactly what they would do in the playoffs but all I know is that he would certainly be a game changer when you have Bellinger and Mookie Betts out in the outfield those are like two of the top ten baseball players in the league I don't know why I said baseball players two of the best players in the league so that's certainly interesting to look at. Doesn't Mookie just look like a Dodger? If you just look at him, he just looks kind of like L.A. No, yeah, I saw him photoshopped. You know, they do the classic Photoshop jobs, and he was wearing a Dodgers jersey. And if I wasn't a baseball fan, I would have believed that that was a player that was playing for the Dodgers, like the way he's, he does that little thing with his hands. But yeah. I think – I'll think, be able to like Mookie if he's not on the Red Sox because he's a really you know great player and he's fun to watch. But He's such a likable guy. Red Sox, it's just like tough, you know? Yeah, so that's a thing we definitely have to look out for – and spring training, I think pitchers and catchers report in like 10 days, 11 days, something like that. So I think if we see a deal, it'll happen soon. Uh, any final thoughts before we move into our next topic of the episode or no? Well, you're probably not going to see it today because today's the Sabbat and uh, Heim Bloom is Jewish. So you're probably not going to see Mookie Betts yeah. today. I'm Jewish, so, or half Jewish at least. Yeah. Uh, at least I know that. But uh, no, no, let's get into our next topic. Yes. Yeah, so our next topic, this is kind of something we saw coming. Dusty Baker has agreed to terms to become the next manager of the Astros. For however long that lasts, we don't know. But I know Noah's going to say the same thing. I'll start it. The Astros needed a guy that could kind of just answer all the questions, a guy who can deal with all the smoke that's surrounding the Astros right now and their scandal. Just going to keep the guys on track despite the distraction behind them, which is obviously that massive sign-stealing scandal that saw plenty of people lose their jobs from A.J. Hinch to Alex Cora to Carlos Beltran to the GM of the Astros, whose name I can't pronounce, so I'll let Noah Jeff do Luno. that. Yeah, Jeff Luno. So, yeah, Dusty Baker, I don't think he's going to do much for the Astros team. I think this Astros team ceiling is still pretty low because we don't know how any of their hitters are going to play when they're not cheating because as long as the Astros have been good, there have been sign-stealing uh, – like they've been sign stealing is what I'm saying. So we don't know to how we can base these players like Altuve, these guys like Bregman – so I think Dusty Baker's going to go in there and he's just going to kind of answer those questions. And I think he'll get the Astros back on track. And I personally don't see him lasting very long in Houston. I don't think they're going to do much. Noah, what do you have to say on that? Uh, I agree on most of it. Uh, it feels great to hear you say I don't know how that, those Astros hitters are going to be about cheating. <laughs> it's serious, <laughs> though. Like, we, we don't know how to judge them. I know. I hope a couple of them aren't as good. I don't think Jordan Alvarez was cheating, and he looked amazing. So, yeah. well, I mean, maybe. You never know what they were doing last year. Um, but they're innocent until proven guilty in that respect. But I'm not a big Dusty Baker guy. I think I said that on the episode that we were talking about, the potential managerial candidates. Um, I thought the Astros might go in that direction, but he's just, like, so opposite from what the Astros were the last few years. Like, I saw something that he issued, I think, 12 or 13 intentional walks in one year, and the Astros last year issued zero intentional walks because they just don't believe in awarding players free bases. That just shows you kind of like the change in mentality between Baker and the Astros organization. Um, the Astros are very analytically driven, or at least they were when Luna was there. And they had that process implemented, and now they have an old-school type guy who's going to come in, and he might run hit and runs. He might bunt, you know, Bregman. You know, have Bregman bunt to get yeah. you know, a guy in scoring position for Gurriel. Those are just things that you didn't see A.J. Hinch do. And 
as a Yankee fan, I'm thrilled that they're going to be doing that. Um, you know, I think that they're a lot weaker with Baker than they were with Hinch, uh, regardless of what was going on behind the scenes. But um, it, at the same time, like you said, they needed somebody to weather the storm. They needed a guy who's been around baseball for a long time to answer those questions and to say that we're not going to put up with this and this isn't who is going to define this team. And just to put up with that and have the experience in baseball to say the right things. He's good around the media. Uh, so uh, I think that it's it's kind of weird to evaluate because there's some positives and there's some negatives. But really, just time will tell. Uh, we'll see how they play. We'll see how their hitters handle the you know constant interrogations from the media because that's right. going to happen. There's going to be media people talking about it every single day at their locker. And they're going to have to handle that. And, um, you know, the manager will too. But the media understands that he wasn't part of that. So he might have a little bit. Uh, he might see it through a different lens. But um, it's an interesting signing. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, well, I want to turn my att- our attention to the Red Sox. Do you think that they're going to sign Ron Renegade? Do you think Jason Veritek? Do you have anybody in mind for where they might go for their manager? Because I think Dusty Baker was a potential option for them too before he uh, went to Houston. Yeah, it's – I don't know. I could see Jason Veritek just because the Astros are kind of trending in a different direction – or the Red Sox, excuse me, are trending in a different direction. Obviously, they're most likely going to trade Mookie Betts. If they could find a place for David Price to land, they'd like to move him, maybe attach some money in a prospect. I could see Jason Veritek kind of coming in with a new team, a younger team, and like leading them through the new wave of baseball with the analytical approach and whatnot. I could see that. I don't know too much about Rod Renegade, so I don't really want to comment on that. If we go back to the Astros talk real quick – a thing that we didn't point out, aside from the fact that these Astros hitters have potentially been cheating as long as they've been good, the likes of Bregman, the likes of Altuve, Correa, even George Springer. The thing is, the Astros lost Garrett Cole. He's replaced by Zach Granke, who is a much lesser pitcher than the dominant Garrett Cole we saw in 2019. And not only did they lose Garrett Cole, but he went to their number one competitor, which is the New York Yankees. I know that makes you happy, but... Dusty Baker seriously has a lot to deal with because it's one thing to get to the playoffs with a team that has such a big scandal over them. It's another thing to go through teams like, let's say, the Minnesota Twins, who are also becoming a very strong team. And then let's say you get to the ALCS when you're most likely going to play the Yankees. You have to overcome a team that's completely dominant. So it's going to be really tough out there for the Astros. And I think this season could be a disaster for them. But going back to the Red Sox, I would say I could see Jason Veritek. I'm just not totally sure how I feel about these guys, even with Beltron. These guys that have never managed before that are kind of coming in as former players, just right. uh, it, it almost it almost seems to me like a lot of these guys are like babysitters and we were like David Ross. Obviously, he was a big clubhouse guy and he was in the booth at the ESPN for a little yeah. bit. It almost yeah, seems like, like these like, guys, guys are coming don't go in. Out drinking tonight, you know, keep it low key. Uh, we'll get you in the lineup tomorrow. You've got to clean up. You know, those types. It, it's guys what it, like, it, it's really players. what it seems like. Aside from like maybe some bullpen decisions, we've heard a lot of managers. Even Terry Collins said when he was on the uh, the set with the Fox Sports guys that the responsibilities of a manager are totally changing. And that's something he experienced where a lot of times you have the GM and the owners, they're making the lineup card. They're deciding who should hit. So while I'm not a huge fan of the former players with no managerial experience come in, uh, coming into the job, I think it makes sense just the way the MLB is going. So I could see Jason Veritek. What do you have to say? And by the way, real quick, before you go in, we have a couple minutes. We're almost in the 30 minute mark before the segment goes out. So if you can, I just want to let you know before that, like in case you go on this massive tirade about the Red Sox that you hate. No, no, no massive tirade. Um, I think they'll – I don't know why they're waiting so long because they said there's no real rush, but they need a manager for spring training. You kind of you kind of need a manager because yeah. they do the media interview and they need somebody to meet the, all the players. I think Ron Redding is probably their best option. He's an in-house guy. He's managed in the league before. I think he's an older veteran presence who could deal with the cheating scandal that they have now. 
and um, you know, can I think the younger players know him on that roster? He can answer the questions about Mookie, uh, just somebody like that. Um, I, I don't want to get too much on the Red Sox, but I just wanted to get your perspective on that. So let's let's move on to our next topic. Baseball offseason is normally pretty long and can get boring, but I'm proud of us, Noah, because we haven't based episodes solely on like just rankings and like ranking this, ranking that, like Giraffe Neck Mark does in the offseason. We've had a lot of good conversations, but this is the first type of ranking things we've done, or at least we've done in a while. So we're going to give what we think is our top five lineups as of right now. Um, so I'm going to go, you want to go like we do our five and then you do your five? Like, how do you want to do it? Yeah, you do your five, I'll do my five, you do your four, and then, you know, same right. thing. Like that yeah. order. So my number five lineup in baseball, I was kind of just, I was loving them earlier in this episode. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds. I think they've shocked a lot of people. It could be a bit of a surprising pick. With there's been a, there's like a lot of good lineups in the National League as I drop my phone in the American League right now. I like the Reds. Obviously, they brought in Nick Cassianos, who's always been a very good hitter. Mike Moustakis. We have Joey Votto, who should be able to rebound. I know he's getting older. Eugenio Suarez, who we talked about before, he is battling an injury right now. He just had surgery, but that's a guy with 49 bombs, over 100 RBIs last year. So those are three of your big guys in the lineup. And obviously, Nick Senzel is a young prospect who the Reds expect to do very well. So I think. It's fun to pencil them into the five spot. I think that offense has a lot of upside. Noah, what do you got? I have the Atlanta Braves as my number five. I was thinking about the Reds like you. I was thinking about the Red Sox, um, but Mookie's out of there, and he won't. they won't be in my top five without Mookie. They might be five with Mookie, but for you know, knowing that he's probably out of there, I'm going with Atlanta for five. I wouldn't have said this earlier in the offseason because I was really worried about the bottom of their order, and I still am a little bit worried about their depth. But I think that top four with Acuna, Albies, Freeman, and Azuna is just too powerful uh, to leave out of the top five. I, I said I like Azuna as a bounce-back candidate. Um, I think SunTrust Park is a little bit better of a park for him than Bush Stadium. Uh, he knows those pitchers hitting in that division with the Marlins already. Uh, I really like you know what they offer from one through four. And then if they can just get some production out of Dansby Swanson and the catcher position with Travis Darnot, um, you know, Nick Markakis, Ender, and Ciarte. They have enough quality guys at the bottom. They're not great, but they're like good major leaguers uh, to round out that order. I, I have the Braves as my number five. So we'll go into our number four picks. I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Los Angeles Dodgers have a good lineup right now, and it could get significantly better if they trade for Mookie Betts, which is something that could potentially happen. Right now, the projected 2020 lineup for the Dodgers, according to Roto Champ, we have Jock Peterson. I don't know if this is yeah, Jock Peterson, Max Muncie, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Alex Verdugo, Corey Seager, Will Smith, Gavin Lux. Will Smith and Gavin Lux are two young players with a little bit of Gavin Lux. Um, obviously, Corey Seager came back last year and he struggled a little bit in the beginning of the year. He signed, he kind of turned it up towards the end of the season. Obviously, coming back from Tommy John, we had Cody Bellinger. National League MVP, nothing much to say about that guy. Obviously, Justin Turner has been phenomenal since he's gone to the Dodgers. Max Muncy had a good year last year, 36 home runs, 93 RBIs. So I think it's fair to say that they've been one of the most consistent lineups in the past few years. They have a lot of good guys in there. Obviously, if they trade for Mookie Betts, that lineup is significantly upgraded with uh, probably replacing a guy like A.J. Pollock. And no, like you said before, Alex Verdugo could potentially be dealt in a deal with Mookie Betts, but we'll have to see for that. But there's a lot of good lineups in the American League we'll get to, but in terms of the National League, I'd say that the Dodgers are just about as good as it gets. What do you have for four? I have the Dodgers as well, and for all the reasons that you laid out, I don't really have to get into it too much, but all I'll say is imagine penciling in Mookie Betts to that leadoff spot, and you slot Jack Peterson down to that five spot. And look, just look at that lineup. You have Mookie, uh, if they get him, Mookie, 
Muncie, Turner, Bellinger, Peterson, one through five, and then Seager, six. Like, Seager, five, you know, vice versa. That's just an insane lineup. But even what they have right now, I just think they're a top-five lineup. That's where I'm going to put them for four right now. But if they get Mookie Betts, you could be looking at a one or a two. And, uh, you know, that's – that's, you know, not many teams can say that they have two of the top ten, you know, five, ten players, depending on how you argue it in, in the league. So uh, I think that they're really, really good. Yeah, so we'll move into our number three picks right now. And I'm going to go with the New York Yankees. And I think Noah will agree with me that the Yankees definitely have the upside to be the best lineup in baseball. And I think that's just down to how consistent some of their hitters can get to. And that's guys like Judge, who's always been consistent. It's The injury problems have affected him. But when he's in the lineup, he's always hitting – extremely well you have guys like Stanton Gary Sanchez Luke Voigt these are the more streaky hitters in the Yankee lineup who can obviously produce at the big league level we've seen it before we just haven't seen it over a full season's basis really but when you look at that lineup you have so many consistent hitters like DJ LeMahieu we saw Glaber Torres was very good last year judge when he's healthy obviously and Gio Urshela surprised a lot of guys I don't know what we're going to make of him in the next couple years but no I want to read you off the Yankees projected lineup as of 2020 from RotoChamp we have DJ LeMahieu Aaron Judge Glaber Torres Giancarlo Stanton Gary Sanchez, Brett Gardner, Giovanni Urshela, Luke Voigt, and Mike Talkman nine. What do you think of that? And who do you have third, more importantly? I have the Yankees third. That is my exact lineup, pretty much. I might switch Voigt and Gardner, but I understand if they want to split the lefties up a little bit. Uh, I think Gardner could regress a little bit. I'm a little bit worried about that, depending on the ball, you know, because 27 home runs or whatever he hit last year isn't really uh, who Brett Gardner is. But I think everybody else in that lineup has the chance to either have a better year than they had last year or at least replicate it. Like, I don't think you expect LeMahieu to be better than he was last year, but I could definitely see him hitting, you know, 315, 320 again like he did last year. And uh, hitting 20 home runs easily in that stadium as long as he stays healthy. That's just kind of the hitter LeMahieu is. He's not streaky. Um, Swatching him on a daily basis last year, you know what you're getting from him. I think Judge is going to have a huge year. I think he's going to stay healthy this year and kind of, try to get rid of that injury narrative a little bit. You know, you and I always go back and forth on this. He got, you know, hit in the wrist in 2018, kind of out of his control. He's only had the one um, muscle strain, whereas Stanton had like four muscle strains last year alone. Yeah. Uh, so I think Judge is going to have a fully healthy year. Uh, Gleyber Torres, t- age 23 season. It's his third season. Last year, as the season went on, he just kept getting better and better, seeing more and more pitches and learning how pitches are attacking him. I could see him having an even bigger year than he had last year. Um, top to bottom, they're pretty deep. Uh, Luke Boyd's a really good hitter, and people forget that, um, just based on some of the injuries he had last year and you know some of the strikeout problems. Uh, Sanchez, kind of a wild card. Um, I think Urshela and Talkman could be pretty good. I'm not going to expect them to do what they did last year, but they could at least be pretty solid players in that lineup. I like what Talkman brings to the table a lot uh, in terms of speed and defense. And they have guys on the bench who uh, not a lot of teams can say, you know, Miguel Andujar isn't in that starting lineup that you just laid out. Right. And they have Clint Frazier in the minor leagues still. And they have other guys that they can trade for during the season, <laughs> excuse me, potentially. Uh, I almost said Nolan Arenado, but uh, I started laughing uh, thinking about that because all these betting odds have Nolan Arenado as the you know the Yankees' likely landing spot, which I think is ridiculous. Everybody, but, um, everybody makes everyone like uh, the Yankees' likely landing spot. Yeah, kind of yeah I was going to say Nolan Arenado, but I started laughing. I, go, I didn't even want to. Uh, Mike Ford, too, another bench option. Uh, so they've got a lot of depth. I'm putting them three just because the two lineups, I think we're both going to have one, two, uh, maybe in a different order, are a little bit stronger, one through nine. Uh, maybe not as many strikeouts, but, uh, yeah, we have Yankees at number three. So real quick, just to correct myself before, when I was reading some of the numbers, I think I just read Max Muncy's. That was a projected 2020 number. So I think I said he was a 36 home run, 93 RBI guy. 
Last year, he's a 35 home run, 98 RBI guy. It's not really off. I just want to correct myself. Yeah, I mean, no one, nobody uh, would have correct Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, there's such small differences. But number two lineup, this one's kind of weird to talk about. And for obvious reasons, I'm going to go with the Houston Astros and little lineup that's been incredibly consistent in their reign since 2017 when they won the World Series. Projected lineup right now for 2020, you got Springer, Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Yuli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, Carlos Correa, Josh Reddick, Martin Maldonado. All of those guys are like 275, 280 and above hitters aside from Martin Maldonado and maybe Josh Reddick. All of those guys are very consistent in the batting average. Obviously, a lot of those guys can put the ball over the fence. Nothing much to say about that lineup. They're consistent. The only problem is they don't know what pitch is coming this year, and we don't know to what extent that's going to affect them. Noah, you have them as two or you have them as one? The, uh, I don't know if you heard that. I was trying to bang. I did hear that. Uh, yeah. something. I have the Astros one. I have the Twins two. Um, I have a feeling that you have the Twins number one because, you know, they're a top, uh, top five lineup. We can both agree on that. Right. I put the uh, Twins number two for the sole reason of I just don't trust them as much in the postseason as I trust Houston. Uh, last year, the Yankees played both the Twins and the Astros, and I saw the difference in approach a little bit with those teams. I thought the Twins became a little bit more feast or famine in those games, maybe a little bit tighter. They had some guys who weren't as experienced, like Max Kepler was kind of non-existent in those playoff games. Uh, Eddie Rosario does not walk, so there's some flaws there. But when you know Eddie Rosario is going to be hitting eighth, and he hit I think 35 home runs last year, right. so that just speaks to the depth of their lineup. I really like Garver. Um, it wasn't very good in the playoffs, but he had really good regular season. Uh, they have bring in Donaldson, who's a really really good player. Nelson Cruz is perennially one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. The only reason we don't talk about him as a top player is because he's a DH, but that guy just rakes every single year. Uh, Jorge Polanco, uh, Byron Buxton coming back from injury, Miguel Sano rakes, they have Marlon Gonzalez. They just have a lot of really quality players. So I put the Twins, too, and then I'll just do the Astros quickly. For all the reasons you laid out, uh, there's still a top offense with all those guys, Springer, uh, Brantley, and the professional approaches that they, those guys have. They have Altuve still. They have Correa, Bregman, who was an MVP candidate. Jordan Alvarez, Rookie of the Year. They just have a lot of guys who know how to put the bat on the ball. Curiel, another one. Uh, they get big hits. They don't strike out too much. They can all hit for power. They just have a lot of depth, and they've proven that in the postseason uh, that they're big-time hitters. So I think it's kind of disrespectful to not put them uh, at least in the top three, um, even with the cheating uh, scandal going on. So I put them number one, but hopefully that uh, you know they'll be overtaken this year. Yeah, and you pretty much said all the points I wanted to make about the Twins. Obviously, if all of those offenses do what we expect them to do, I would still put the Twins one just because they just absolutely mash the ball. They have so many boppers in that lineup. The only thing that scares me a little bit is Cruz has hit consistently like his whole career. He's getting older. And then Donaldson, people forget that because he had one year where he wasn't injured last year and he was very good, people forget that two or three years before that, in between his MVP year and 2019, he was always beat up. So we can't really trust Donaldson to stay healthy again unless he does it again this year. So that's something to watch out for. He's obviously one of the two biggest bats in that lineup. But I just like that Twins lineup. They hit a ton of home runs. They set a record last year for home runs. So I'm going to put them number one. I like how we can disagree on some things. I feel like a lot of times on this podcast, we just kind of like go off of each other. But it's fun to have a little bit of a disagreement. It's just something fun that we're glad we could do because we haven't really done much ranking stuff much in the podcast, the first 11 episodes. And... Yeah, a lot of these lineups could change, or at least a couple of these lineups could change when 
potentially Mookie Betts or Nolan Arenado get traded to a potential contender. We'll have to keep our eye on that. The Yankees. The Yankees they are going to get Arenado. They're going to get Mookie Betts. And then at the trade deadline, they're going to get Lindor. And then they're actually – Bryant for fun too. They're going to get Bryant. And then I want to say Syndergaard and DeGrom are both going to demand a trade. So they're going to go to the Yankees also. And the Yankees will be an all-star team. But – yeah, so I was brainstorming a couple of things for the podcast. Uh, aside from getting future guests on, which we plan to do soon, we should have guests coming up in the next week or two. Uh, I wanted to do a couple of different kind of segments. So I want to let you guys uh, let you guys tell us if you would be interested in them. One would be a type, uh, similar type thing with rankings. So maybe ranking like top 10 shortstops or something like that, for example, like a ranking segment. And then the other one would be uh, hypothetical trades, not necessarily a trade that's being talked about, but just a kind of bizarre trade that might make sense. I'm going to give you an example of one right now that I saw on Twitter. Um, this is one that I initially was like, what? You know, this doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's kind of counterproductive. But then I started really thinking about it. I'm like, maybe maybe it does make sense. I don't know. Let's, let's get your take on this. The Cubs and the Nationals mock trade. Max Scherzer for Chris Bryant. Give me your thoughts on that. It's so it's like it like hurts your head to think about. I don't know. That's weird, right? The, like two all stars, but and I'm like, what? Like that's never gonna happen. And we're not saying in this segment that that's gonna happen. Right. This is just kind of like for fun, you know. So yeah, but it's a it's a very interesting trade to talk about. Cubs are a weird team. Excuse me, that we've. I'm not gonna touch on the reasons we think the Cubs are a weird team. Everybody knows it listens, but they have a very like they should have a solid lineup with guys like Schwarber and Baez and Bryant. Obviously, if this trade happens, Bryant's gone. And guys like Rizzo, Wilson, Contreras. But they've had a lot of offensive problems. And what I do like about that trade is that's a rotation that's not particularly strong. You look at John Lester, who's – he's a professional. You know, he's been around the game for a while. He's always been a solid pitcher. Uh, <laughs> that's like what you always say about a guy who's washed up. That's what I heard from CZ Sabathia talking about the Yankees rotation yeah. last year. He's a professional when, you know, he knows his way around the ball game. That's a translation for he doesn't have it. I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't disrespect the guy. I think he's won two World Series. If I'm not mistaken. One oh, the yeah, Red yeah, Sox. Yeah, no, I, I completely get what you're saying. It's, he's not. He's right now on the uh, on the Cubs website on their depth chart. He's their number one. He's not a number one starter for a team that wants to contend. Then you have you Darvish who can't stay healthy. Kyle Hendricks who's a good guy, is soft stuff. And then you have Jose Quintana, Tyler Chatwood in there also. So I think Scherzer Tyler would Chatwood help. just walk somebody. Yeah, I, he's. Uh, I can't. I can't comment much on that yourself. You hit it, but. I think Max Scherzer would make sense in some ways there. However, like I said before, they hired a new babysitter in David Ross, and I could see the Cubs kind of going in a different direction. Obviously, if they deal Chris Bryant, I think they'd want to bring in prospects or at least young pieces just because this is a team that might be exiting their window with the emergence of the Reds. And I want to say Teo Epstein, if I'm not mistaken, said that he kind of wants to move in a, right, in a different direction because it seems like whatever they're doing now isn't working. Obviously, they have a lot of yeah, money committed. Yeah, did say that. So – in terms of just like a fantasy trade, I think that's really cool. It could make sense for both sides. And similarly, the Nationals, you were going to say before – actually, I'll let you touch on this because I just took all the Cubs. But you go on the Nationals and what Chris Bryant would do for them. Well, the Nationals' side of it is that they have Strasburg, who proved he's an ace, and he proved that in October. And they have Corbin, who's a proven at least number two starter. I don't think he's an ace, but he's at least the number two starter. On most teams, he would be the number two uh, option. So with the, having that already, you kind of say Max Scherzer is, what, 35. He's got two years left on his deal. This team might need him. Do I mean, it feels weird to subtract maybe the best player on your team with Max Scherzer. But then if you're adding an all-star third baseman who's a five-win player in Chris Bryant or five-win type player in Chris Bryant, and you add him behind or in front of Juan Soto, whatever area, you know, lineup construction that you want to do, you can pretty much replicate what you had with Rendon. 
in terms of the lineup. And then you hope Bryant stays healthy and he has kind of a Chris Bryant type year, like an MVP 2016 type year. And you think that that might be worked more than Scherzer because they already have a deep rotation and they have a lot of guys, um, you know, even in the back end, like an Anibal Sanchez, uh, who you feel comfortable with. And for the grind of at least 162, would they be better served with Brian on their team than Scherzer? I think there's at least an argument for it. Oh, no, now, certainly. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that are telling you that it's not going to happen. One of them is that one-for-one one trades with superstars never happen. That just doesn't happen. You just don't swap a superstar for a superstar. Uh, that usually is just free agency. You know, if you want the superstar, you sign them. And if you trade for them, it's usually a rebuilding team who's not going to win. And then they get prospects back. Uh, like you said, and the Cubs would be taking on more money in that situation, and they're trying to cut money. So that, from a financial perspective, it really doesn't make sense. But if you just do it player for player, you could argue that both teams would be better off. I agree with you. And another thing you have to realize is, obviously, Scherzer is at the latter part of his career. He just got his World Series. He's 35. He's always he's always been in that Cy Young conversation, even in this past year when he was 35 or 34. So it's not to say that he's declining necessarily, but obviously he's older. And if the Nationals do receive Chris Bryant, when Scherzer, they're both free agents and I guess it would be, what, 2022? Yeah, they have this year in 2021. Yes. Yeah, so right. the thing is, when, let's say you hold on to Scherzer and his deal runs out in 2022, you're not going to re-sign the guy in a big contract. Whereas, let's say you get Chris Bryant, his money runs out. And then once you get Scherzer off the books, obviously you have money you can commit to Bryant, who at that point is still going to be young in his career. You could give him a long-term deal if it works out. That could make sense. Obviously, the Nationals have some money committed. And at the same time, you have to think about the reciprocal effect that that would have on Carter Keyboom. He's a guy that has a lot of pressure on him right now because he's essentially Anthony Rendon's replacement. And he's a young player who hasn't proven himself on the big league stage yet. So I think if you get Chris Bryant in there, that takes off pressure from Carter Keyboom and gives him more time to develop and kind of mature into the lineup. But... That's a trade we could talk about. It's actually a very fun trade. I'm glad you brought if, that up. What if we expand the deal? I didn't even think. I just thought about the this on top of my head. What if we send Keyboom and Scherzer to the Cubs, but we get back Kyle Hendricks and Bryant? What about that? I, I don't even expect you to have a real reaction to it. I just thought of it, but I just thought of like a wonderful like Keyboom instantly gives the Cubs a young player they could try to sell their fan base on, and then they have this win now pitcher, so they could still win now with that, and then. The you know the Nationals get an All Star at a position they just lost an All Star in, and then they also add a pitcher who can slot in perfectly behind a Strasburg and a Corbin. I don't know, it's just a thought. I would. The that's a very good deal for the Nationals. At the same time, they've lost a lot of their top prospects recently. Like obviously, they had Lucas Giolito. They gave up for Adam Eaton for whatever reason. Yeah, like I mean, yeah, they won yeah, a World Series, so they give away six years. Yeah, that. but that's it does make sense. I mean, in 2019, Kyle Hendricks pitched to a 3-4-6 ERA. And obviously, he's no Max Scherzer, but he'd certainly help there. And then you'd have the Cubs. It's weird for the Cubs because they have an old John Lester who, like I said, is a veteran. He's been in the league. He knows what he's doing. And yeah. you pair him with Max Scherzer, two older guys, and then you Darvish, who's never stayed healthy. That has, That's a rotation that has as good as they can be. There could be a chance that it all kind of falls apart. It's but, like the Mets bullpen. A yeah, bit. but it obviously you bring back Carter Keyboom, and yeah, I'm glad I could honestly just comprehend that because that's definitely just something know, that hits know, you in the sorry, face. I don't know. That no, that's fun. We have to. I mean, we we've we've had a we've had a good lengthy discussion about this, so that's certainly good. Noah, we have some questions we're going to get into now. As always, it's time for everybody's favorite segment on our podcast, Brian's trivia minute. Last week, he was in studio to ask the question. Unfortunately, he is not today. That's okay. He sent us in a question. We appreciate that, as always. Noah, this week's question. 
Who was the last NL third baseman not named Nolan Arenado to win the gold glove? Probably a long time ago. I can't even think of one in recent years that was like really good defensively. My answer, just because of the Hall of Fame stuff that was going on around him, I'm going to say Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland. That's a, I'm gonna look at I'm gonna look at the 2012 National League All Stars just to get a better idea. Like it wasn't Pablo Sandoval. Because I, I don't know if that was his last year. It was either 2011 or 2012, and I think he still had an insane club then. Yeah. We have David right. Freeze was an All Star. Oh wow. Not definitely not a gold glove winner. I hope it's not David Wright. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I thought David Wright. Uh, like it was initially my first thought as it always is. But it's yeah, not. I'll be mad if I got that wrong. That was David Wright. I don't think it is though. So I'm going to pull up the answer because I really, I can't even think of anybody. Brian says the answer is, ready for this? Uh-huh. Chase Headley, 2012. Oh, God, really? I guess with Chase the San Diego Headley? Padres? That's funny that he did that. Yeah, I, mean, I remember he was on the Padres. I think that was the year that he had like 30 homers and it was an MVP candidate, inexplicably. That's the player I thought the Yankees were getting. I forgot he was a gold lover. Yeah, I would have never thought of that after how many throws he threw in the dirt. You know, on Yeah, I, I was – I, I forgot about Chase Headley. Like, in all honesty, I forgot about the guy until I just read the answer from Brian. Brian made so many diving catches and then would just throw the ball <laughs> on the, the ground at first base. Yeah, you know what like, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then he'd just throw it away, and then it was, yeah, it was yeah, all blown over. And then, and then he'd have, like, that, oh, shucks, yeah. kind of type look on his face, like that yeah. weird, awkward Chase Headley look. Oh, man. I, you know, I completely blanked Chase Headley out of my mind. After he was traded in 2017, I just like stopped thinking about him. Yeah, he was a good player. That's great. He's okay. Uh, He's chase ball. Yeah, we had our moments. I was actually before we go into our listener questions, I was actually at a game, a Yankee game in 2016, and I got like free tickets or something. I'm pretty sure Chase Headley hit a grand slam. So that's my lasting Chase Headley memory. I don't know if you remember a game like that. I don't even remember him hitting a grand slam that year, to be honest with you. And I remember his like really clutch home run against the Red Sox in 2014. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest Chase Headley moment. Uh, also, him falling down on his way to second base in Game Four of the ALCS, twenty seventeen. You remember that? Yeah, of course. Frazier had a leadoff single. We were down four two, bottom of the eighth inning. I know it's sick that I remember this, you know, perfect detail. Four two, bottom of the eighth inning. Frazier leadoff single to left. Headley hits, you know, batting left handed. He hits a gapper in the left center field the other way. Uh, Frazier goes to third. Headley stumbles going around the first base bag. They throw behind him. He gets up, and then he dives, and Altuve basically misses the tag, and he's safe at second. And he starts just pounding his chest and, like, hitting his hand on the dirt like he just did something, like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he almost got out because he just tripped. Was, uh, I mean, he ended up scoring. Or, oh, I think Ellsbury ran for him on that um, on that judge uh, double off the wall. But he had, he had taken his moments with the Yankees. Who thought we could have talked about Chase Headley for over two minutes? But, Brian, yeah, no, as always, thanks for the question. Now we're going to go into some listener questions. Noah, I believe you have the questions on deck, so let's hit me with the first one. Our first one is from Zach. He wants to know the three biggest trade or best trade destinations for Nolan Arenado. The Yankees, the Yankees, and the Yankees, because yeah, that's exactly. all the media wants to say. Now, in all yeah, honesty, yeah. I have no idea. We've heard the Nolan Arenado talks, and we haven't heard like potential destinations. Obviously, the places that most writers are talking about is the Braves, the Phillies, the Yankees, the Nationals. This is just because all these teams really don't have a set third baseman right now. But you got to realize that Nolan Arenado's contract they signed last year, it was like in the 8 to 75 range, something like that, I want to say. I don't really remember. But that's a lot of money. And a team like the Braves, who just spent $90 million, or I think it was, it was over $100 million now, 
with uh, the signing of Marcelo Zuna. I don't think that's a team that's going to want to pay that much, but he would be a complete game changer for them. The Phillies, I think it could make sense. You know, we always say Phillies GM wanted to spend stupid money last year, and he spent upwards of three million, three hundred million on Harper. And now he has Zach Wheeler. He could make that team a lot better. I don't think that Phillies team necessarily is great right now, but those are the couple destinations. But I think simply put, we have no idea because we just haven't heard anything about it. We haven't heard of any teams actively trying to make deals for him. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I don't think the Braves have enough money, and given what they just did with Azuna and Will Smith and Darno. That's just not a team that spends a lot of money to begin with, and they still have some young players they have to uh, worry about. Actually, they don't really because they robbed Acuna and Albies, but they still have to think about other guys like Freddie Freeman still uh, might need an extension pretty soon. So I I don't think they're going to go in that direction. Uh, I do not think the Yankees, contrary to uh, popular belief, I think that might be Arenado's can't let it said he likes the Yankees, he'd play for the Yankees. And Vegas somehow got that information, and, you know, the public eyes started getting – or public, you know, whoever betting – uh, people started getting those information, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen because the Yankees already have Stanton and Cole on their payroll, and they have to worry about Judge and Torres in the future. So I don't really think adding another high-priced guy like that is a smart move for them. Um, I said a while back I like the Mets for Arenado just because I think he's a superstar that New York will immediately love, um, a guy that you know will be on billboards and a ton of WFAN calls about. Just He fits that bill, and um, I think that the city would embrace him. I like that for them, but I don't really think the Mets are going to go in that direction. As of right now, I'd probably just say that he's going to stick with the Rockies until at least the trade deadline, um, just because of the lack of you know plausible suitors. So uh, I know Zach wants me to say the Phillies. I'm sorry, Zach. I don't think the Phillies are going to go in that direction, but uh, we'll see. Maybe if they part, uh, part with your boy, Scott Kingery. Next question is from Luigi, uh, another Yankees question. He asks, give me your breakout player for the New York Yankees this season or a player who's going to have a really big year. Um, Tyler, I'll let you start with this one. Luigi, thank you for submitting the question. It's an awesome name, by the way. This is weird to say. I think I was going to say the same thing. I'm going to go with Aaron Judge, and I do like Judge a lot, honestly. There's a lot of Yankees on that team that you really can't dislike, and Judge is nothing but good for the game. He's got a big smile on his face. He's a superstar. He's one of the three or four best players in the league. I think Judge is going to put it together this year. I think he's going to stay healthy. And I think this could be the year that he does win an MVP for the first time. Obviously, 2017, though, probably has some strong feelings about that. I think that Aaron Judge is definitely going to break onto the scene. I think he's going to stay healthy. And it's not a matter of him breaking onto the scene. It's a matter of him just staying healthy because every time he plays, like we said on the previous part of the podcast, he's a very good hitter. He's a very good fielder. He won a gold glove. I'm going to go with him. I think Giancarlo Stanton's a guy who could produce uh, at a high level. I think I want to say in 2018, he was like a 3,500 RBI guy, and people still thought that he was overrated, but he put together yeah, a very good year. Exactly. Yeah. So those are two guys that we could definitely watch out for, and I think Stan needs to develop a little more consistency. Judge needs to stay on the field, and I think Judge is going to break out. I think he'll play like 150 games and be awesome. What do you have? Um, I'll take a little bit different approach to the question. I think you went more for like like – big player season. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go with like a little bit of an on the radar guy that a lot of people are talking about, but you did mention him as penciled into the Yankees lineup. I'm going to go with Mike Talkman here. I'm a big Mike Talkman fan. And I was a fan of him throughout last season. Um, I really liked watching him play. If you watch him on a daily basis, you just saw his at-bats get better and better as he got more and more consistent playing time. At the beginning of the year, he was swinging through some, you know, 93 mile an hour fastballs when he was playing once or twice a week. And he didn't really look like an everyday player. But then once we had a couple injuries, you know, Judge goes down, Stanton goes down. He's forced to the lineup every single day. 
and he played amazing defense. He hit lefties, and he started hitting the ball all over the field. I think he had a stretch where he was hitting like 400 for three weeks, and everybody was joking. He's the best Mike T in baseball. Nobody actually believed that, you know, just joking around. But uh, So last year, Talkman, 277 batting average, 361 on base, 504 slugging. Those are really big numbers. 128 weighted runs created plus. He had a 2.6 fan graphs war. He had almost a 12% walk rate, which is elite. 13 home runs, 47 RBIs, 6 stolen bases. This is in about 300 plate appearances. Uh, he's raked throughout his whole minor league career. Uh, defensively, his outs above average ranks in the 95th percentile, which means he's all, like as good as it gets in terms of getting uh, to balls that other players don't. His outfielder jump was great. His sprint speed's above average. So he really doesn't have a lot of weaknesses in terms of just like evaluating. Like if I'm scouting a player and I'm looking at tools, he has a lot of tools. And with guys who have tools and who have good work ethics, those are really how I try to identify breakout players. I uh, saw that with Rochella last year. The ball's coming off his bat really well in spring. Uh, he said he made a lot of swing changes, and he was really invested that offseason in his mechanics, and he made a lot of adjustments because he knew his career was going uh, down a you know, downward path, I'll say. And I'll say the same thing for Talkman, other than the downward path part. I think he's going to get a chance with Aaron Hicks' injury to get a lot of playing time out in center, maybe left. Um, he was a plus defender of both positions, and um, as long as he could stay on the field, uh, I think he'll be a really good player for the Yankees in 2020. Luigi, thank you for the question. As far as I'm concerned, that's going to wrap up listener questions for today. So for Brian and our listeners, thanks for submitting us some questions. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of the Baseball and the Burrows podcast. We love when you guys interact with us. We love having questions and when you guys vote on our polls and whatnot. So to interact with us on Twitter, I am at Smith-Sports. Noah is at NoahBroderick20. And the podcast itself is at BATBPod. Follow us on there. You'll get your latest news on the podcast can ask us some questions. Once again, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week for the next episode.